Chapter Six, Part Two of Rocks and Their Origins by Grenville A. J. Cole. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Nieces. Nieces may be broadly defined as banded crystalline rocks in which felspar is visible to the unaided eye. Though this will include many igneous masses, it is doubtful if a more rigid description can be given. Numerous nieces, in fact, owe their parallel structures to flow while in a molten state. Others are rocks that have been deformed by pressure, and their constituents have become drawn out along planes of solid flow. Where actual shearing has taken place, the minerals in the close neighborhood of the planes of movement may become especially modified, ground down, and deformed. The foliated structure may then be marked by the appearance of differentiated bands. Such bands may also arise from the spreading out under pressure of certain large constituents, such as the porphyritic crystals of felspar, which produce white bands, or of pyroxene, which will become modified into granular amphibole and will produce dark streaks through the rock. Nieces may also result from the intrusion of felspathic igneous rocks in sheets of varying thickness between the layers of a sediment or a schist, or from the intrusion of one igneous rock into another, with varying degrees of interaction and absorption. It has often been presumed that the invaded igneous rock must have been in such cases in a plastic state. The supply of heat within the earth during such processes, and the action of the gases, corroding, as Dolter says, like a blowpipe flame, are, however, clearly sufficient to melt down large blocks, the residue being then carried forward as wisps or bands in the invader. Many strikingly banded nieces are thus of composite origin. Their felspathic granitoid bands can be traced in the field to an igneous source, while their darker, and usually micaceous layers, can as surely be attributed to the invasion and incorporation of adjacent schists. But it is quite possible that in rarer cases the banded gneiss is a sedimentary rock which has undergone what Judd has styled statical metamorphism. The differences in successive bands are then due to original differences in successive strata. One has yielded a granitic layer, one a layer of quartzite, one, which was more agrilaceous, a layer of mica schist. The bands in such a niece record the stratification. Nieces are often described as if they consisted of layers of various minerals, quartz, felspar, and mica, alternating one with another. As a matter of fact, a niece may exist in which there is no differentiation into layers. The whole of the constituents have been drawn out and elongated, any mica present becoming naturally conspicuous by its flattened, wisp-like forms. The banded nieces, on the other hand, where layer structure is obvious, consist in reality of bands of different rock types. Sometimes all the layers are granitoid, but one band will contain only quartz and felspar, while another will contain the same minerals with an admixture, and perhaps a great predominance, of mica. G. P. Scrope made an immense step forward when he realized in 1825 that such banded rocks, the inferior crystalline zones, might be pushed out of position and protruded among others in a solid or nearly solid state. He goes on, the protrusion of the foliated rocks, gneiss, mica schist, clay slate, etc., was chiefly occasioned by their peculiar structure. The parallel plane surfaces of their component crystals, particularly the plates of mica, sliding with facility over one another, while the laminar structure of these rocks was in turn increased during this process, the crystals being elongated in the direction of their motion, 
as in the case of the clinkstones and the pearl stones of the trachytic formation after this there was little left for the later advocates of dynamo metamorphism to put forward while darwin recognized how the granite at cape town had worked its way insidiously between the layers of a schist it was left for michael levy to emphasize the part played by what is called lit par lit injection in the making of banded nice k a lawson johann lehmann and other distinguished workers in germany made clear on the other hand the effects of pressure in moulding and reforming crystalline rocks and even in bringing about the crystallization of certain minerals in a previously sedimentary mass the dynamo metamorphic school assumed immense importance from eighteen eighty four onwards the date of the publication of lehmann's work on the Ensterlung der Altkristallinischen Schiefergestein, and for a time the intrusion of igneous masses was held, both in Germany and the British Isles, to have had a merely local significance as a metamorphic agent. Wherever regional metamorphism was spoken of, pressure effects were held to be predominant. Indeed, the profound modifications that may occur in rocks when lowered into subterranean cauldrons is only now becoming generally realized the tendency to regard the structures of large masses of gneiss as of necessity due to deformation and shearing in a solid state has however passed away pressure effects are of course clearly traceable in most gneisses and are of immense importance in many metamorphic areas but we find again and again that gneissic structure has been injured rather than developed by crushing subsequent to the consolidation of the rock in some cases where this structure is due to igneous flow which of course often took place under considerable pressure even the puckerings of the stratified or foliated rock which was invaded by the igneous magma have been followed by the invading sheets in other cases as in the composite amphibolite gneiss of canada or the similar rocks of the ox mountains in ireland the contortions in the mingled mass are clearly due to the viscid flow of the consolidating invader the growing appreciation of the views on the recurrent thermal metamorphism that were originally propounded by james hutton in seventeen eighty five has led to the assignment of far younger ages to many masses previously regarded as fundamental and archean some of these rocks are undoubtedly of high antiquity but are found to be intrusive in strata of a late precambrian series others such as the material of the saxon laccolite and the nieces on the northeast bohemian border are now known to be of upper paleozoic age the question of a fundamental nice ever since a c lawson showed in canada how the laurentian nice had invaded and swallowed up the overlying kiwatan rocks suspicion began to fall on the doctrine of a fundamental nice we may now well ask ourselves the following questions one was there a time in the early history of our globe when schists and nieces were deposited as a prevalent type of sediment under conditions which have not since recurred two if so which of the characters of these precambrian rocks are original and which have been acquired through subsequent metamorphism three on the other hand is the prevalence of gneiss and schist in early precambrian groups of rock due to the fact that the older the rock the more metamorphism by recurrent heat and pressure it is likely to have undergone four we may prefer the theory of laplace that the earth is cooling from a molten state or the planetesimal theory according to which heat has been developed during the consolidation and contraction 
of an agglomerate of solid particles. Yet in either case we must admit that the Earth's outer layers were once nearer to the heated parts of the Earth than they are now. Is it not likely, then, that early sediments became frequently immersed in baths of molten matter, and that contact metamorphism and admixture on a regional scale have produced in them the characters that have now been attributed to a fundamental niece? J. J. Setterholm has traced in Finland four groups of Archean sedimentary material which have been successively invaded by granite from the depths. The bare, wave-swept isles of Spikarna, east of Hango, serve as models of structures that are traceable throughout the Baltic lands. The more we regard the oldest nieces of one region after another, the more we see in them igneous matter that has attempted to assimilate sediments of still older date. The banded structures that have been appealed to as indicating the power of earth movements to deform the solid crystalline crust prove, in very many cases, to record the foliation of rocks that were already metamorphosed before the igneous matter spread among them. In some of these cases this foliation followed planes of original stratification, and we are forced to conclude that true sedimentary structure may after all control the features of a gnarled and contorted fundamental gneiss. We are still far from discovering the primitive crust formed about a molten globe, and the brilliant proofs of evolution in the organic world are unmatched by any evidence of the evolution of rock types during geological time. Metamorphic Rocks and Scenery Metamorphic rocks are usually associated with the scenery of mountain, moor, and forest. The highly altered, siliceous masses furnish but indifferent soils. The connection between metamorphic rocks and earth crumpling, and their frequent penetration by granite, lead to the production of rugged ridges and high moorlands among which denudation has cut romantic glens. The schists weather out on the valley walls along their foliation surfaces, and scarps arise like those of stratified rocks. The face of such a scarp is broken away in a zigzag and splintery fashion, and the sharp edges of the foliated mass stand out like teeth upon the skyline. Nieces associated with the schists present a contrast of smoother surfaces, wherever denudation has been long continued. Foliated diorites and amphibolites, however, may produce wild crags that even overhang, while recent exposed gneiss at high altitudes may give rise to pinnacles and serrated forms. Where alterations of quartzite and mica schist occur, irregularities of the surface are readily maintained. Heather climbs upon the yellow soils furnished by the schist, and trees may gather in its hollows, but the quartzite stands out bare and dominant. In some cases, the upturned beds of the latter weather out like dikes across the country. Worn-down plateaus of ancient Nice, the mere residues of mountain land, may be seen in the storm-swept levels of the outer Hebrides, and in the hummocky country, a swelling sea of bare gray rock and peat-filled hollows that borders all the west of Sutherland. The irregular weathering of mica schist and the readiness with which it can be carved by streams control the bold landscapes of the highlands from the Trossachs to Loch Ness, and thence away again to the northern sea. Here and there great domes of intrusive granite rise among the broken moorlands. At times a white cone of quartzite catches the eye with a gleam like that of snow. We may traverse this country as an introduction to the high glacial plateaus and deeply notched seaward slopes of the metamorphic lands of Norway, or to the contrast of jagged schists and resisting nieces 
that meets us as we near the alpine core. End of chapter 6